Welcome to the Fred Dojo Podcast, the place where pro guitar players share their secrets. Visit www.freddojo.com to access online courses and free resources to take your guitar playing to the next level. Hi guys, welcome to the Fret Dojo Show. My name's Greg O'Rourke and it's great to have you here. Today we have a fantastic uh, special guest that I'm going to interview today. We've, uh, he's all the way from the UK. It's the fabulous Ant Law. It's great to have you here, man. And um, Ant and I connected actually with uh, one of my students in the Fret Dojo Academy. And um, uh, so a special shout out to Mike Bryant out there if you're listening. And um, uh, I thought I'd just uh, introduce you guys to to the accolades that that Ants achieved over his career in uh, jazz and jazz guitar. So um, Ants been hailed as an innovator and a game changer by the Guardian newspaper. Uh, based in the UK, Ant lives in London, where he leads the Ant Law Quintet. Uh, in 2013, their debut album, Entanglement, was released to great acclaim, followed by Zero Sum World with Whirlwind Recordings and Life I Know with Edition Records, and that was in 2018, receiving five-star reviews and airplay across the UK, Europe and Australia. Ant plays in Tim Garland's band with uh, Jason Rebello and Asaf Circus and is featured on various albums, including one, which was shortlisted for a Grammy and won the Jazzwise Best Album Award. He's worked with other notables, Corey Henry, Thomas Gould, and has featured from time to time in Total Guitar, Guitar Techniques, and Guitarist Magazines. In the latter, he recently made a list of 10 astounding virtuosos, a pretty cool accolade, and Ant's fourth album was just released this year on July 24th called The Sleeper Wakes, and there's actually going to be a special preview uh, from that album that I'm going to share with you guys a bit later. But anyway, Ant, it's fantastic to have you here, and thanks for coming on the show today, man. Matt, my pleasure, my pleasure. So it's good to hang out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, yeah, we just did a wonderful uh, little workshop for my academy members on um, on the diminished scale. So uh, so that was a lot of fun the other day. But I, I, I kind of want to. I'm I'm really interested um, uh, in, in a few things that I wanted to talk to you about, Ant, because you've had quite an uh, an interesting start in jazz. Do you want to tell us about kind of your journey with music and 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 how you got to where you got to, man? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, my parents always listened to. Probably the the normal stuff um, that people of their generation were listening to, um, I guess British people in particular, maybe like the Stones, the Beatles, and stuff like that. So we we were always checking out kind of rock and and blues and that type of thing. And um, you know, eventually I discovered Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh, people like that. Got more into the the instrumental thing. Um, you know, the the guitar solos were always my favorite part of the songs, you know, um, and the instrumental. So eventually I sort of discovered Joe Satriani, Steve Vai. And then in my late teens, I think I was listening to sort of modal jazz. Cool. Um, and yeah, there was like a couple of Coltrane tunes, you know, like my favorite things where, where the chords aren't changing as much as, as, uh, like autumn leaves, for example. Sure, sure. So when I listened to a lot of jazz, I, I found it really disorienting and chaotic, which is, I think how, how it sounds to a lot of people, you know, <laughs> But it was kind of the modal, the modal stuff, the you know more harmonically static stuff or the more blues-oriented stuff that made me 
made me able to sort of kind of leap across, if you like, from the kind of rock guitar. So, sure, yeah, sure. So, so that was that. And I've been kind of addicted uh, ever since. Okay. And, um, and, and so in terms of, of jazz guitarists, who's really inspired mm. you, uh, you know, along, along the way, specifically mm. in jazz guitar? Or, or, or do you get more inspired by musicians kind of outside of guitar, like, like other instruments? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm 36 now. And so I've, I've listened to a lot of music and sure. it never stays the same. You know, I think part of the journey is, is staying excited by listening to new people. So one person who's consistently excited me over the last sort of um, decade is Ben Monda. Uh, he's yeah. kind of, uh, you know, he's kind of known more now after playing on the David Bowie album, I think. But, um, yep. you know, someone who I actually don't check out quite as much now um, as I used to is Pat Metheny. I think I had the first Circle Live album. Right, right. And again, you know, that was so melodic and warm and, uh, and kind of accessible to me. I also had a Joe Pass CD quite early on, but it took me a while to get into it. But oh, I do okay. remember really enjoying... Um, there's a version of him playing Rockin' in Rhythm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Which yep. is a really nice kind of blues kind of, kind of head. And I think that was on an album maybe with Jitterbug Waltz and stuff like that. So definitely Joe Pass and kind of Matheny. And then eventually Pat Martino live at Yoshi's. That's one I oh, kind of yeah. come back to, yeah. you know. That's awesome. Um, yeah. It, but Pat, being Pat a kind Martino of rock, is a, you know, it's interesting with Pat Martino because yeah. I find, um, you know, he's someone that I could listen to all day, but I don't feel inspired to necessarily play like that. It's, it's kind of interesting, mm. you know, I, I just, I just, I, but, I, but I love his approach to music and his kind of um, the way he's kind of broken it all down and, and the sound he gets, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. He, his, his tone and the way he plays definitely has this kind of thunderous forward motion, you know, and um, yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely that if, if anyone's not familiar with, with Pat, uh, Martino, that is. I, I strongly recommend the Live at Yoshi's album. Mm. There's a great mm. version of All Blues uh, on there, and Pat is really, really soulful on that one. Yeah, it's a real classic, man. Mm. So um, I, I guess here's the burning question, and actually when I was promoting this <laughs> this live session, uh, this when I actually saw you play in our workshop at Fret Dojo the other day, it's like, what's this guy doing with his guitar? Because it's like he's making these sounds, but it's not lining up on the fretboard. Something's going on. And, uh, <laughs> and then you let slip that you actually tune the guitar in a completely different way to how most other players players um, tune their guitar. So you have to show us, man. Because yeah. For those of you yeah. on the audio, you, you might just have to kind of um, imagine what's going on. So, uh, But for those of you on the video uh, um uh, we've we've got uh, Ant's guitar here, and um, he, he's going to kind of reveal his secrets for how he's completely reorganised the fretboard. So, so um, I'm all ears, man. Hey, what, yeah. What, what what have you done to your guitar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the secret is one semitone, and I, people probably uh, might even be able to work out what it is. Um, I just tune in perfect force, so I tune right. down from the fifth fret, so E. B, G flat, D flat, A flat, and E flat. And the reason I did this is when I was having a jazz lesson, before I really liked jazz, and teacher told me, Ant, you got to learn major seven, dominant seven, minor seven, and minor seven flat five. And I thought, okay, cool. Well, I already know kind of major, you know. I know major seven, and I thought, oh, it's a bit of a pain that I got to do major seven like that. D major seven, but here 
D major sevens like that. And here it's like that. There's yeah. three shapes. Mm, okay, it's a bit of a pain. So I thought, if I tune to the fifth fret, then I've got major seven. It's exactly the same. Wow. In all three places. So then let's say I'm learning a, an unfamiliar chord, D, D diminished major seven. Stays the same. So, uh, you know, D half diminished. Things stay the same as you go across the string groups. And, um, so, so it basically cuts out a third of what you need to learn, <laughs> pretty much. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. So, so there's that. And there's also the fact that I think it's a little bit more intuitive for improvising. Right. So, for example, with the diminished scale, for me, my tritones go up the neck. This is actually my F here. So I go F, B, F, B, F, B. I could come down an augmented triad diagonally, B, G, E flat, or D sharp, B, G, D sharp. Um, it wouldn't be so symmetric and, and geometric on, on a standard tuned guitar. But that's the basic principle. Um, I still like to play licks that you can play in standard tuning. I mean, everyone's trying to copy Charlie Parker, guitarists, yeah. horn players, you know. So it's all good. But yeah, I've, I've found it to be very helpful. <laughs> okay. So so I guess that's my next question when it comes, because, you know, I would imagine it really shapes the kind of music you play. Um, you, you know, like it's it's kind of a it's a very efficient way to get an original sound, I guess, when everything's laid out differently to how everyone else is doing it. So, so what's the kind of um, uh, what what sort of um, how would you say it's changed how you play music since you've adopted this tuning? Like, what do you tend to do more in your improvisation or or your, your playing in general? Yeah, well, I'm definitely more likely to move an idea around in a very logical way. And, right. you know, music isn't always logical. You know, sometimes there might be a beautiful melody that, that isn't something completely symmetric. So I'm probably a little bit guilty of moving ideas around in a little bit of a more, more symmetric fashion than someone in standard tuning. Um, yeah, but I mean, definitely it's... It's interesting, you know, not having the root there and there. So right. for me, if I, you know, maybe if I play the equivalent of a big E open E chord, for me, I've sort of found this one. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's a really, it's a really colorful voicing, right? So you've got this kind of, um, you've got E on the top and E flat on the bottom. So it's like a major add nine sharp 15, I've heard people call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really, uh, you know, I don't care too much for advanced theoretical knowledge, but I, I really like the sound. What a beautiful sound, man. It's a nice sound, isn't it? Here's another one, um, which is kind of from the A, open A flat string in the open E. And finally, where you could maybe open D tunings work really well in standard or maybe open G, but yep. because of the G string and B string, um, you can't really play so well in, uh, you can't play in C, but mm. in this tuning, you can play in B. Ah, uh, nice. Which isn't too different from doing that in another key in, in standard tuning, but the range is slightly different. So there's a couple of little quirks that you discover. Mm. Um, yeah, it's all good. It's just sort of slightly different sounds, I guess. Oh, no, for sure, man. And um, uh, I think it's it's sort of, 
it really has that modern sound but a very accessible sound at the same time you know you know what i mean that the sort of things that you're playing through that tuning so so um yeah man well th- well th- thanks for going through that so you're basically just tuning in fourths from the top string down in fourths all the way all the way down and uh, i'd imagine that it also help i guess play in flat keys as well um y- exactly. you know which 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 features a lot in jazz you know yeah that was a big part of the, of, of the making the decision and making the switch so there are uh, some fourth tuners who tune e a d g c f oh the, the other way up oh, okay. yeah and i guess that has the appeal of you only have to relearn two strings instead right. of four but uh anyway I, I yeah i had a real book at the time and i was looking at all these e flat tunes and uh, a okay. flat tunes and d flat tunes and so i thought okay i'm gonna go flat Right. <laughs> well, it's a, that's amazing. So, so, so these fourth tuners guys, like, like who else does this? Like, like, cause, cause may, maybe I'm in a bit of a bubble, man, but this is the first time I've heard anyone do No, that. no, no. I think, I think we're, I think we're in a bubble. Right. Um, I, there's a, there's a workshop where Alan Holdsworth says if he could start again, he would tune in fourths. Right. Okay. Um, but obviously he didn't. So I'm not yep. really answering your question <laughs> there. Um, the, the main person that I'm aware of is Stanley Jordan. Although uh, of his course, technique yeah, is yeah. So unorthodox. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's all over the place. Yeah, there are a couple of other Brits called uh, Tom Quayle, who's okay, uh, yeah. he's quite big uh, on the internet uh, yeah. and in, in guitar land in general. He tunes in fourths. He tunes C and F at the top. There's also a guy, Alex Hutchings, okay. um, from from Bristol over here. But yeah, it's certainly. I mean. I wrote a book introducing the tuning, you know. Yeah, I, thought, I was going. I was going to. I was thinking we should put a yeah. link in the show notes uh, to your book, man. I, I just noticed yeah. that when I was looking on your website the other day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was thinking, great. This is like uh, the first fourth tuning book. It's going to sweep the earth. Everyone's going to. Bu- well, I, I figured out that half of the people on earth are going to buy it because half of them are going to want to stay in standard tuning, and that <laughs> it would actually gross me with my royalty from the publishers something like four hundred and eighty-three billion pounds. Makes sense. Which I haven't. Yeah, but you know, sadly, I'm still awaiting all all of the um, all, all four hundred eighty-three of them. But I actually found out there was another fourth book written in nineteen eighty-three oh, okay. by Bob. Bob Bianco, yeah, the year I was born. So there's no no new ideas, folks. You oh, know, despite well. despite what you may think. Oh well, he's he's pro- he probably <laughs> co- copped all the sales for that one, man. So so yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, you know, uh, you, do, do they tend to be evangelical fourths players? Do, do they kind of push their tuning onto others, or or is it more kind of something you just keep to yourself? Or yeah, I think I don't think there's that much proselytizing. Okay. Happily, I, I think we're just kind of ashamed. You know, we're just kind of like uh, ashamed of it. So. And it's terrible for jam sessions because people, you know, want to get up and play a guitar. You can go, you can. <laughs> you know. Yep, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, uh, I might have a fiddle with that. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I had to say it, but I'm. I'm pretty entrenched in the standard tuning myself. So, so I'd need to. Um, it, it'd be a pretty big hole to dig out of. I think for me at this stage, but but I'll, yeah. I'll have a fiddle with it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, Greg, for anyone who, who has this sort of neck, who's relatively comfortable, you know where the notes are. I don't think it's as helpful. It's, if you're sort of starting out, you sure. can cut out a lot of the extra work, you know. Mm. But if it's already done, then it doesn't really make that much difference. Oh, well, I, th- I think it's sort of the thing, though, when you were playing those chords before, I could really see myself like sort of writing a composition even or something like that that, that sort of used that tuning because, you know, I've used a few alternate tunings before but never never one 
quite like that that's that different so um so yes yeah, so something to experiment with for all you guys out there on the call make sure that um for those of you that are that are tuning in live you you're welcome to ask questions in the chat I'll, I'll look at that um before the show's over so uh anyway Ant, um we might uh have a little interlude now because i i, I want to listen to some of your music so um as i mentioned at the start of the call um and uh has um recorded a brand new album uh called the sleeper wakes and um and he's actually provided a video of one of the tracks that that um I'm going to slip in now it'll be an audio if you're listening to the podcast of course so do you want to tell us a bit about the track we're going to listen to now yeah sure this is um hopefully a bright kind of joyous summary piece that I call harvest and it's got an amazing soprano saxophone solo by um, someone who's become a good friend um, of mine in recent years, Tim Garland, amazing composer and mm. player. And yeah, it's my it's my quintet. It's uh, yeah, I hope you like it. Really, that's all. Okay, well here we go. Presenting the uh, Ant Law Quintet. What was the name of the track again? Sorry, Harvest. Harvest. Okay, Ant, mm. Ant, the Ant Law Quintet playing Harvest. Let's have a listen. Thank you. 
What a fabulous recording. That was the Ant Law Quintet with Harvest. Uh, man, that was some beautiful melodic soloing, Ant, from yourself and also the other players in the band. So, yeah, it must have been quite a ride putting that album together. Yeah, it was. It's, it's really hard, you know, um, to get loads of people in the studio and get everyone to learn the music and to all play really well on the same take. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, we did our best. <laughs> Excellent, man. No, so for for all you guys out there that are interested more in Ant's uh, music, um, you can obviously find him uh, on his website. I'll provide the details in the in the YouTube description um, once once I post the replay of this, and also on my website. And uh, you, you can buy his album and um, and also check out everything else he's got on offer there. So, but, uh, but I just want to talk to you a bit more and um, uh, uh, to this next segment. Uh, to f- this is more, you know, for the for the um the jazz guitar student you know like uh, mm. uh it'd be good to because obviously you're you're a guy that's at the top of your game uh played with a lot of the great players guitarists and non-guitarists alike but what do you think are the most important things that a uh, jazz student should focus on um in their practice session well it's sort of the ultimate question isn't it um I think you should always practice with a metronome. I think you should always try to use your own taste to guide you. So there might be a lot of um, people telling you, you should learn this standard and you should learn that standard. I think if you had a choice between two and you don't like one, but you like the other one, you should always go there. Um, In fact, if you gravitate towards something and in a really specific style, you should even do that. Um, I, I, you know, and leave out styles that you like less. I also think playing with people um, is is really good. You know, if you can find people who are at the sort of similar level to you, or ideally a little bit better, but of course they want to play with people who are better than them. Um, I mean, I think personally, we all have things that we're better at. So, um, you, you know, it, it shouldn't be too hard to find someone to play with. But where you can kind of show each other stuff. You know, you can be like, oh, check this cool uh, 251 that I found. You know, I, I remember uh, I remember doing that a lot with some friends as I was just learning. Um, learning the tune Inner Urge, for example, a Wicked mm-hmm. Joe Henderson kind of fusion tune. I mean, it's kind of fusion, but it's way ahead of its time. There's this bit at the end where the chords go E major 7, C sharp major 7, D major D major seven, B major seven, C major seven, A A major seven. And there's sort of this really mathematical kind of stepwise motion in the chords. Mm. And this, and I said to my friend, like, how can you play that? Or I can only follow the chords around on the neck like that. And he said, well, no, you know, it's actually possible to play all of the scales without moving your hand. Right. (laughs) That might sound really obvious to some people, but at that time I was like, oh yeah. You can. So maybe I should practice that. Just not move my hand at all in the neck, you know. So anyway, that's one of countless valuable lessons I learned from playing with people. But listen as well. Listen to music. Listen to mm. the jazz guitarists that you like and and copy them, you know, like if you're not listening to it, why are you learning it really, you know? Exactly. You know, I, I like how you talk and and because it's very much talking like an artist. And I think uh well I've kind of noticed this vibe 
you know, with jazz guitar students that you kind of feel like you have to learn everything to kind of be qualified to, to be able to right, play right. jazz, you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of, as you say, you know, focusing on what you like um, and sort yeah. of, you know, thinking from the outset as an artist, you, you, you know, and, and, and just finding others to play with and, and making great music right away uh, with what you got, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I definitely feel the weight of the jazz tradition, uh, yeah. you, you know, like like out there. And I think, oh, no, there's this tune uh, that I really should have memorized by now, but I haven't. So I think, you know, we're all uh, we all maybe feel like that from time to time. But um, I mean, you can't learn everything. Sure. You, you can't learn every tune. You can't learn, you know, you can't do everything. So that's OK. But yeah. do something. <laughs> yeah just do something won't you, won't you? Yeah. <laughs> all right so um uh sort of because you know improvisation is a big kind of topic of interest obviously for my audience you know mm. what what do you think of the logical kind of progression of exercises for a jazz student that was just starting out you know what i mean um you know for yeah. from like not having any improvisation um, sort of experience. I wouldn't say yeah. any improvisation ability because I'm sure they do innately. Mm. But but uh, let's say they start without any initial experience. How would you get them from point A to point B? What what what's the sequence? Do you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's probably different for everyone, right? <laughs> that's such a, that's a real cop out. So uh, I will now follow the cop out with a really boringly mundane answer, which is learn a solo. You know, right. find a solo you really like. I was trying to find an exact solo that I learned, which was, I think it was Joe Pass on Blue Bossa. Oh, and it okay. was so good. It was one of the first ones that I learned, but I, I couldn't find it online. And um, anyway, I think that's a really good thing because I don't really know why exactly, but I guess you learn, you learn just some really, really good applicable vocabulary. Mm, it mm. instills some of the things like chord tones landing on strong beats, which if you if you just sort of go and try and practice that deliberately, it's almost so overwhelmingly complicated to start off with, you know, to visualize all the chord tones on the neck and play them on beat one and three or whatever. Um, but if you learn a solo, that information is contained within it, as mm. well as nice jazz phrases and things like that. So I would say find a solo that you can play easily, that you enjoy playing and do that, you know, do a couple, do a couple, do one on like a, a major kind of tune, one on a minor tune. Um, I think I, I strongly urge everyone to practice with a metronome as well, because um, rhythm is something that takes takes a while to seep, to seep in, I sure. think. Um, m- maybe for many people, it's completely natural. But for me, it's, it's definitely something I've had to kind of work on. Um, and the other thing, which is kind of the flip side, learning a solo is like going straight to the prize, you know, but... I do think it's important to understand the mechanics. So we've got a chord, C major seven. What notes work on that chord? Well, C, E, G, and B. Chord tones work because they are inside the chord. Um, Now, it does get a little bit more complicated than that. If you play a C sort of quite high up above a C major seven chord, it actually kind of can clash a little bit because there's a flat nine interval between the B and the C. But anyway, let's forget that for now. (laughs) Um, And I think that kind of learning arpeggios, and uh, I mean, if Mike Bryant's watching, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record to him because I've (laughs) talked to him and, and all people who I've ever taught about this. If you can string arpeggios together, if you do it with good rhythm, it can sound great. Exactly. 
Try it. I mean, honestly, try it. Try Prove me wrong. Play arpeggios strung together and see if you can get it to sound bad. You can't because every note is right. It might not sound like the most wonderfully inventive storytelling, you know, kind of solo, but all the notes are going to be right. And that's a, that's a pretty good start. Yeah, it gives you your meat and potatoes, doesn't it? It's it's um yeah. it's just, it just it, it'll work. Yeah, and uh, mm. and it's kind of like the basis which you can kind of kind of overlay kind of perhaps more complex things, but but a, exactly. a, lot, a lot of what you hear in the bebop language is arpeggio based. It's funny that everyone talks about scales all the time, modal scales yeah. and all this sort of stuff, but um, they really should be making the arpeggios more of a priority, I think. Yeah, you're right. It's too tempting sort of guitar players we can sort of whittle you know, yeah. we can kind of whittle around scales and it's kind of fun to, you know, play lots of notes. So I think that's, that's, there's a symptom of that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, oh, this is great, Ant. So lots of, lots of pro tips that, that are coming your way, uh, you guys <laughs> that are, that are checking this out. So, um, let, let's, let's talk now about, um, mistakes, the big mistakes, you, you know, Ooh. what, what, <laughs> yeah. So what, what, what are the, 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 the big mistakes that you see, not only, you know, students of jazz or students of jazz guitar make, but also at a pro level, you know, if you've noticed things that you go, oh, that, that's, that's probably not how you should be doing things. Like what, what, do you, uh, what, what comes to mind? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question because I mean, definitely at a pro level, like you get good at, I mean, you have to listen to yourself. You, you know, you record an album, you listen to lots of takes of yourself and you have to choose and you really sort of stare down the mm. beast of, of the, the beast being things in your playing that maybe you don't like, you know, so on guitar, it might be miss hitting that, that that's yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Sort of guitar player's disease. There's a thousand ways to articulate a note. There's also a thousand ways to miss, miss hit it. Um, so I think on a pro level, you know, people basically, listen and reflect and are able to guide themselves to where they want to get to. But um, I think maybe for someone starting out, if we practice, if we focus too much on exercises and never start to apply them. So I was just saying a second ago, you know, practice your arpeggios. Um, the next thing which you, which you must do is then practice those arpeggios on tunes that you like. So, mm. I mean, it also might be a technical thing. It might be that you're working on alternate picking or hybrid picking or, um, I don't know, tapping, whatever it is, harmonics, you know. Make sure you then practice applying those things on the repertoire that you know, because it's quite easy to practice technical exercises. There's a purity to that, you know. Mm, um, mm. But as soon as we have to apply them and our brain has to recall this information in real time, it's actually surprisingly difficult. Exactly. Um, so, you know, yeah, you, you think you know your arpeggios, you know. So anyone who's, who's listening and watching this right now, you probably know your major seven arpeggios, minor seven arpeggios and dominant seventh arpeggios, you know. Okay, now play quavers over giant steps. Yeah, string exactly. them together. You know, oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. that's actually quite hard. I don't know them as well as I, as I thought I did. So I think active application of, of things and just to restate that in other words, not to focus too much on just exercises. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, I find that, uh, that that's what I found very humbling actually getting into jazz because previously, you know, I was, mm. um, you know, doing a lot of high level like classical guitar um, kind, mm. kind of approaches. But but what I found about jazz is like even something quite simple like a like a lick, like a like just a short line, like a two five yeah. one line. Like, sure, I can play it. 
sure I can play it in every position. Sure, I can play it in every key, but can I actually play spontaneously, like land it yeah. w- when I want to? To to and and it's like, well, that's a whole other level, you know. So so it um it, yeah the I, I think people underestimate the amount of time that that you need to absorb even quite short, uh, concise things like arpeggios or lines or, or whatever. You you really need mm. to know them uh, at a very uh, deep level, I think, to to then be able to spontaneously kind of kind of um, come up with music yeah. that kind of is informed by that, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, maybe another thing would be uh, manipulating licks that you know, you know, mm. trying to. Um, it might be a little pattern, and then you move it up diatonically, um, or or shift it around rhythmically, or something like that. Scott Henderson talks about that a lot. He goes, "Don't take a massive long lick." You know, right, okay, right. you can do that if you want. It's fun. I definitely do that still. But ideally, you want to take a little cell, really understand it, really soak mm. in that sound and practice how to manipulate it. And then that way, you're not just getting like a massive salmon, you know, you're, you're going and you can like repeatedly fish for as many salmon as you want. And you've got, you know, you'll eat delicious salmon forever, basically. Yeah, it's like, it's, like, it's the sushi approach, isn't it? Just a small piece of sushi, sushi ra- ra- rather than a big chunk of salmon on, on, on your plate yeah exactly bite-sized morsels <laughs> <laughs> cool man exactly all right so um uh i think uh the we've had a great discussion here here and i want to really thank you for coming on the show today um you, you know uh let, let's talk about yourself you know like obviously with the current um you know world issues we're facing at the moment i'd imagine live performance is a bit limited but um uh please share to 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 all the fret dojo uh um audience here what you've got coming up it'd be great for people to check out more of your work yeah um well of course it's a little bit uncertain but i am endeavoring to do live streams every thursday oh cool um this started on my Facebook artist page. That's a 7 p.m. London time. So, um, but anyway, okay. you, you can, people can kind of rewatch them. I'm going to continue this as long as I can. It's helped give me a sort of task and some kind of shape to the week. And it started where I thought, okay, I've got no, no gigs. There are no gigs mm. now happening, mm. and w- which was all I really did before. It was how I sort of, uh, sorry, I did kind of every day, you know. And I thought, what I want to do, there's a couple of people I want to play with who who also don't have any gigs, who are sat at home. And some of them have got studios and things like that. So I wrote to them and we started to record a couple of, um, you know, of of my tunes or standards. Yeah. And so I'm doing, um, yeah, every Thursday we usually play uh, one of those tunes that we've pre-recorded and then have a little chat. But yeah, I mean, probably most things that I'm doing will be in the sort of online um, medium for the time being, but yeah, I mean, certainly people can interact in, in on all the usual platforms. If people want to kind of hang out or, or, you know, take a lesson, just get in touch. I, I try to post short things on Instagram and longer things on YouTube and more interactive things on Facebook, you know, but I'll be, you'll find me in all the normal places and I'm trying to think up some interesting stuff for you. So. Oh, for sure, man, and and you know, like Ant's not only an incredible performer, but a wonderful teacher. Like you sort of got a bit of a taste of that in today's interview. But um, you know, as I mentioned at the start of the call, we we just recorded a uh, a really fantastic 
um, uh, workshop on, on uh, diminished scale approaches that you can find in the uh, Fret Dojo Academy membership. So uh, really good stuff for dominant chords in particular. Um, yeah, very versatile kind of approaches. So, so, uh, so yeah, a- answer or master of that stuff. So, so check that out if you're keen. Uh, visit my site for, for info about how to sign up to that. Uh, but anyway, um, I think uh, this has been a, a fantastic um, uh, inter- interview, Ant. It's uh, it's very um, uh, been wonderful to have you on the call today, and I think it's uh, it's going to help a lot of people. So I think that's what's kind of cool about the um, the online stuff. You know, it's uh, mm. uh, although it's um, uh, you, you know we, we can't hang out in person. You, you really have an opportunity to to reach a lot of people so so and you and you've mm. got a huge amount to offer there and so um yeah it's oh, great great to hear you getting the word out there <laughs> oh man my pleasure okay well why, why don't we finish uh, with a favorite quote that um uh that you like i always uh, like asking this of my guests uh, have you got something to share yeah. with us today i have indeed this is one of my favorites has been for a number of years because it will always apply from here until infinity it's an hg wells quote and it goes when the mind grapples with a great and intricate problem, it makes its advances step by step with little realization of the gains it has made until suddenly, with an effect of abrupt illumination, it realizes its victory. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> it's deep, right? It basically means carry on practicing, don't freak out. Yeah, your, your brain will figure it out in the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ant. Well, uh, it's been wonderful having you here today. Thanks so much. Make sure that you search Bye. Ant Law on on uh, Google to find Ant's website, and I'll also provide um, links to all his social channels and, and everything else he's got going on in the show notes for this episode. So make sure you send that over to me, Ant. And, um, yeah, I hope uh, you guys enjoyed the show today, and I look forward to seeing you in another episode of Fret Dojo. Thanks very much, Ant Law. Nice one, Greg. See you soon. Thanks for listening. For lessons, resources, and free stuff to take your guitar playing to the next level, visit www.fretdojo.com.